Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Reactivating the Worship Mind was given by Darren Roundson and is the first in our series, Worship. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're mellow. We're dry. Hey, um, just so you know, I know there's a bunch of new people. We do not provide premium bottle service. That's for the club. So if you see one of these, it's definitely not for us. So I apologize if you got excited. Um, you have to wait till 9 o'clock, and then you can stay and enjoy. Um, but it's expensive. Hey, so Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. It's a good year. Is, is everyone pretty excited about 2011? I mean, I, I feel like there's some good positive energy across the board. I'm, I'm pretty pumped um, about New Year's and, and what this might look like. I come with kind of the, oh, let me do this. How many of you guys... Set New Year's resolutions. Write them down. Raise your hand if you've set some goals. I just want to see that. Keep them up. Keep the hands up high so everyone can see who you are. All the way up. I'm, I'm serious. Keep them up. Because the next question, we'll find out who the real type A personalities are. Ready? How many of you guys have action steps for those goals? Okay, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. Just, that's right. Just like five of us. Cool. Um, no, it, for me and my wife, I, she hates it, but I... I just, I, I'm always all about goal setting. I'm all about like, hey, let's, let's mark this season with journals and let's close this one and open a new one. I'm so mystical in that sense. And uh, New Year's is exciting. So we, we set some goals and some of them are just totally cheesy, but maybe, uh, maybe some of you have the same kind. Um, they're, they're really good. So I wanted to share with you uh, this evening, just for the heck of it, because it's New Year's, um, the top 10 New Year's resolutions of the year according to a very particular magazine. This is what the world is committing to, or the United States, according to 2011, um, the top 10 New Year's resolutions. And there's nothing funny about this, um, but here you go anyway. So uh, number 10, uh, get more organized in life. Number nine, volunteer more. Number eight, go back to school. Number seven, get out of debt. Number six, quit drinking. Number five, enjoy life more. Number four, quit smoking. Number three, lose weight. Number two, get back into shape at the gym. Uh, those two are different, I guess. And number one is uh, spend time with family and friends. Those are the top ten things people are committed to this year. So just so you know, so you can relate to the community around us, because none of us are, are focusing on that, I'm sure. Um, uh, but I, I wanted to do this for fun. This is what I call the crazy Christian top ten, okay? And, and again, I just did this last, last minute, so it's, it's, again, it's not very funny. But I, I hope some of you commit to some of these things. Uh, number ten, read the Bible in a year. How many of us have tried to read the Bible in a year and quit after one week? Any, any of us want to admit that we have that type of problem? Okay, yeah, I'm one of them. Thanks for... We got, we got the bounce in the back. Thank you, James. Love you. Um, called you out. <laughs> Number nine is pray more. We just say just this generic, like, I want to pray more. Um, uh, number eight is fast once a week. Has anyone ever committed to that? I'm just curious, like, for a New Year's goal? Okay, uh, of course. Jerry and Jody, thank you. Um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Number seven, if you're married, to, to start a date night. That's, that's one of the, the, the goals that we have. And if you're not married, uh, a lot of us aren't here, it's to find a date. So that's number seven, to find a godly spouse or a date at the very least. Um, number six is to start or join a community group. Um, no hints, no, no nudges there. That's just what I'm saying. Start a community group or join one. Number five is to serve at our community garden once a week. That's all good Christians are doing that. Um, <laughs> And if you want to join our community garden, you can hop on over, especially in the rain. It's fun to work in the mud. Um, no, we're not doing that. Number four, 
uh, this is such a, a terrible one. Only listen to worship music. Um, how many of you have done this? Have you been just in that season of life, you're like, I can't listen to secular music, and you just raise them high. Come on, be, be proud of that. Yeah, you know? Get, pull out the oldies, you know what I'm talking about? Toby Mac. And, um, anyways, I've never done that, so you guys are all lame. Number three is to go on an overseas mission trip. Number two is to, to make a prayer closet. Anyone, has anyone ever made a prayer closet? Okay, why am I the only Christian here that's made a prayer closet? Have you not read the, the Sermon on the Mount? Come on, people. Okay, you've done that? Jerry, come on. You are the crazy Christian here. Number one and, um, is, is to pass out tracts. Uh, I've done that. I came back to faith, and I was one of those guys on the street corner, and I don't recommend it these days. So anyways, those are the top ten things. Those were fun. Hopefully you had a good time. Uh, but what I realized as we prepare, uh, just before we jump back into our Kingdom of God series, um, uh, we, we wanted to talk about worship the next few days, or the next few weeks. We wanted to look at uh, this concept of worship, because most of us consider worship as the only thing we do on Sundays. It's when we sing, or, or when the crazy people raise their hands, or dance, um, but, but worship is so much more than that, and, and I want to talk today just from Romans 12 about the type of worship that, that Paul calls us to, a worship that, that is a response. And, um, but, so we're going to look at different elements. We're going to look at justice. We're going to look at um, why on earth do Christians for thousands of years sing together when they come around each other? Why, why do we do that as a community? I think Bill's going to talk about that next week. I'm going to bring um, one of our missionaries that we sent January 16th, Brandon Stiver. For those of you that know Brandon, yeah, he's a missionary in Tanzania. He he helps lead an orphanage. Um, He's a young guy, and he just heard the call, left, and we're just going to interview him and talk about what worship looks like for him as he just serves the orphans of the world. Um, And then we'll talk about finances. Uh, Giving is such a part of our call as followers. And it's not just giving to the church, it's just living generously. How do we subvert culture? Well, one of the ways we do it every week is by simply tithing. It's by, by saying to the God of this world, you don't provide for me, Yahweh provides for me. And, and it's about our allegiance to Yahweh. And so we're going to talk about that as we talk about it in a larger picture of worship. Um, but I thought, you know, this is a great time to just to look at the world around us, even to look at those of us that set goals and, and wonder and maybe ask the question, why, why do we wrap our lives around goals for those of us that set goals? Why does the world um, begin to form their, their schedules around their workouts or their diets um, or, or around new relationships or around not doing what they did last year in hopes to do something new this year or, or making more money? We wrap our lives or we reorient our lives around what we value most. Would you agree with me on that? That we, we, no matter how you look at it, we, we orient our lives around what we value. And what I want to just talk about tonight and just share one story and then maybe ask a few uh, compelling questions is, is I want to I invite you to, to read Romans 12 and look at what Paul um, urges the community in Rome to do. So grab a Bible. If you don't have one, raise your ha- hand. We'll give you a yellow Bible. Um, and if you don't have one at home, you can take this. Does anybody need one? I have an extra. I'll, I'll be happy. There you go. Absolutely. So Romans 12, go to the book of Romans. It's um, in the New Testament, and I forget the page, but it's 700-something. 
Um, it's 788. 788, Romans 12. I want to read it, and we'll talk a little bit about it. But listen to, uh, to Paul's words to this church in Rome. Uh, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12 is, is, a, is a giant shift. For the last 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been articulating to this, this conflicted church. The church in Rome is made up of, uh, Rome would be like the capital of the world at this point. It's in the Roman Empire. And, and it's, it's this church Paul's never visited. He's never been there. He hasn't met the leaders, but they know of Paul. And so they, they've previously contacted him somehow to, to, find, uh, to be encouraged, basically, with theology. Because apparently this church is just conflicted with their view of the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul writing to this group of people, some are Jews and some are Gentiles. And, and we've heard those words before, but basically it means that there are people with complete, completely different cultures, backgrounds, um, uh, beliefs, uh, uh, education systems, their, their languages. They, they just have this completely different perspective than each other. And there's, there's some conflict about what it looks like to follow this, this new Messiah figure, Jesus. And so Paul writes this church um, in the first 11 chapters, and he articulates and breaks down the gospel message of Jesus. And, and for those of you that have read Romans, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging book, but he diagnoses the human condition, why Christ had to come um, on earth in the first place. He talks about the history of Israel and what, what the mission of God's really about, why God chose Abraham, why he chose the Israelites, why Jesus had to die on the cross so that we could be justified. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, Paul talks about the sacrificial system and then says, hey, because all people, both Jews and Gentiles, knew um, that in order to appease the gods or God, you needed to offer sacrifices. You needed, you needed to give them a dead animal or, or offer them something. If you wanted good crops, you would offer you know, uh, uh, some grain to the crop god. Or if you, if you didn't want um, somebody to, to be sick in your family, you'd offer um, certain offerings to different gods. And that was the Gentile worldview. And even to the Jewish worldview, there was this sacrificial system where you would have to offer tons of different sacrifices throughout the year, follow the festivals and the policies, procedures and laws. And Paul goes off on, on all of it and says, here's, here guys, here's what it is. All of you stand under the same umbrella of mercy. That there, 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 there's equality in both of your, your stories. That, that, that you are all in the same place, disgraced and graced. That you are, you are all uh, uh, sick with sin, and you're all saved by grace through faith. And so he basically levels the playing field for 11 chapters, and just over and over again, just making this great, compelling, logical argument. And then he transitions. He finally, after explaining all that God has done, Paul finally gets into what he's trying to get into, which is now what do you do? In view of everything that God has done for you, what do you do? And so we see in Romans 12, verse 1, the therefore is, is speaking of the entire 11 chapters previous to chapter 12. 
So in view of all of chapter 1 through 11, in view of God's mercy upon you, offer your lives as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Um, that word uh, body has less to do with the physical dimensions of our, our physical state. It has to do with our soul. The Jewish understanding of the soul is broken up into five different dimensions. The, the first two uh, is the physical, um, our physical bodies. Uh, we can touch flesh. We can see that. But it's also spiritual. Genesis chapter 2, we know this. If, if you've been with us for a while, we know that God takes creation, he takes dust, and he breathes life into it and creates mankind. Man is fully human and fully spiritual. So the first two dimensions of our soul, according to the Jewish community, um, which I would agree with, is spirit and, and physical. And you, if you break it down even further, there's three other dimensions. There's the mental capacities, the emotional capacities, and the social capacities. Does that make sense? Have you ever heard that before? Anyone brand new? Okay. So with that, we can just say that when Paul writes about offering your bodies, as living sacrifices. He's saying, offer the entirety of who you are. Offer your spirit, your, your, your physical um, dimension, your social, mental, and emotional capacities. Offer your entire lives as sacrifice to God. And you will be... That, oh, let me just read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Now, for us, we don't live in the sacrificial system, although many of us still operate in this in what, one way or another, we actually bring this into our relationship with God. But to the Jewish community, sacrifices was a big deal. This is the way of life. Every time you blew it, you had to offer sacrifices. Every time there was a new festival, you had to bring something new, it was, whether it was a grain offering, a burnt offering, a peace offering, whether it was the other two offerings, it doesn't matter. You had to come and bring sacrifices to God. Literally, there, there was estimated of over 200,000 people that would come into Jerusalem to offer sacrifices on Passover. Lambs. 200,000 lambs would be slaughtered on Passover once a year. This is the system that was built for thousands and thousands of years. And Paul says, hey, you don't need this anymore in the first 11 chapters, but rather offer your, now your lives as living sacrifices. And I just want to describe to you, uh, or read something to you. This is fascinating. It's uh, one of the authors I was reading to study. And, and he says um, uh, uh, there was five types of sacrifices given in Leviticus. But he describes uh, um, what it was like to be a worshiper as a Jew that had to offer sacrifices. And this is what he says. It was, it was also just dramatic. The worshiper brought the animal into the temple court. Standing there before the priest, he placed one hand on its head, thereby identifying himself with the animal, and confessed his, whoa, confessed his sin or explained the reason for offering the sacrifice. Then the worshiper killed the animal and cut it up for the priest to burn on the great bronze altar. Some sacrifices, burnt offerings, um, involve the whole animal being burnt on the altar. In, other, uh, in others, some of the meat was set aside for the priest. In others... Um, and the worshiper and, and his family, they shared it. But in every case, the worshiper killed the animal from his own flock with his own hands. These sacrifices expressed in a vivid and tangible way the cost of sin and the worshiper's responsibility. The animal represented the worshiper, dying that he may live. As the worshiper killed the animal, he, he recalled that sin would have caused his own death had God not provide an escape through the animal sacrifice. That's powerful. 
Paul says in the first 11 chapters that that is no longer needed. Rather than offering an animal, now, as a response to what God has done, offer your lives as the living sacrifice to God. What on earth does that look like? I mean, I've heard this before, but guys, how do we offer our lives as living sacrifices? Could you just imagine that worship is not just about singing, it's not just about, about, um, about giving, it's not just about coming to church on Sunday, but worship is about learning to, to live the life that we have. And notice, you can't live someone else's life, you can't offer someone else's life, you can only live the life that you have here and now. And the goal or the response, the only spiritual act of worship, or in Paul's, uh, another way to translate that word spiritual, is the only logical way of worshiping God is to offer your life back to Him. What does that look like apart from concept? I mean, I just think about what would it look like for a teacher to learn to offer his or her life as, as an offering, as worship to, to God, as a teacher. I'm not, I'm not asking you guys to, to, join, to go on a mission trip or, or to start standing up on a soapbox and, and evangelizing to the world. Paul's getting to the point where it's as simple as ordinary, everyday life. All we have to do is give everything back to him. That that is, in fact, the only thing we can do in worship is to simply give everything he's given us back to what does that look like? How do, you, how do you begin to even write that down as a New Year's goal? I want to offer my life as living sacrifice. How, how might we constructively as a community, because again, I'm not talking for the sake of, of just giving you thoughts to think about later. I'm saying this is about discipleship. Worshiping God is, is a way of our discipleship. And what God's calling us to, according to Romans, is, is a life that's being offered back to Him. How might we as, as, as PE teachers learn to embrace everyday moments as simply offering it back to God? How might we as husbands learn to simply offer the life as a husband back to God? That, that the way we live as husbands becomes an offering. That in fact, we, we are obedient to Ephesians 5 where, Christ, where, where our wives can see Jesus in our daily activity. How might we reactivate the worshiping mind. Because the next line for Paul um, is fast. He goes, he goes, he says, um, so offer your lives as living, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your logical or spiritual act of worship. That, in fact, is what you're supposed to do. This is the way we do it. And then he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Paul's response to worship is that we would no longer be conformed to the world. We'd no longer practice the ways of the world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now this is really significant because in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through the end of the chapter, Paul makes a, a really big claim. He says the problem with human condition, the problem with, with, with mankind, is that somehow we blew it because of sin. And he says that sin started with idolatry. This whole 11 chapters before Gen, uh, Romans 12 has to do with people actually worshipped creation instead of creator. People worshipped themselves and became slaves to the things that they worshipped 
And Paul makes this great argument in Romans that we're not going through. I'm just making this, this parallel real quick. That Paul starts off with the reason we're, we're off is because we've already blown it in the, what we worship. And he comes back to Romans 12 and says, the way we do this right is by offering our lives back in worship by the renewing of our mind. He'll say in verse 21 of, of Romans chapter 1 that uh, there was a darkening of the mind. There was a darkening of the mind, and our response is to renew our mind. That's pretty cool. 2011, what does it look like to no longer be conformed to this world? What does that look like? And, and I, I really, I really want to dig this in. Because I think conformity for Christians is complacency. It's complacency. We've become complacent as people. We settle into what God's asking us in our lives. Church on Sunday, great. You've nailed that. You've got the community group in the middle. Maybe you go to the prayer nights and maybe. But, but there's so much more. It's not about the church stuff. It's about learning to live where you are. Unemployed, the owner of a business, teacher, retired, student, barista, doesn't matter where you are. Your life becomes an offering back to God. You become reactivated. The things not of this world. And conformity, I think, has become complacency. Where we no longer see the world. When we're transformed by the renewal of our minds, we no longer see the world as the world sees it. We see it through a different lens. We see it through the lens of the kingdom of God. And I want to just show a quick video. Um, this is actually really uh, something that inspired me over the Christmas break. I saw this. It's a Levi's ad. Uh, um, and I'm not sell, I'm not here to sell Levi's. I'm just I'm pretty I'm pretty fascinated by um, this story. But it, it's a Levi's ad um, about if you can't see it, just listen to the the voice because I think the person talking has some pretty f- profound things to say. But it's about a, a, a city called Braddock, Pennsylvania, and Braddock was a city that boomed because of the steel industry. Um, and in the 1940s, this was a thriving community that boasted over 20,000 residents. Um, But when the steel industry declined, the people left. And currently, Braddock, Pennsylvania has less than 3,000 people. So this city that was was thriving and prosperous has become a slum in many cases. And 90% of the community is is basically a landfill. Um, Things aren't working. It's trashed. It's in ruins. And and there was a lack of hope for the city that they they wanted to close it. But, But a mayor named John Fetterman, uh, kind of this unorthodox guy who's 300 pounds. Um, Braddock, Pennsylvania is 66% African-American, 30% white. He's this big white guy. He's got this shaved head and a, a big goatee. He's got the city's zip code tattooed on his arm. But, Brad, uh, <clears throat> but John Fetterman came in and saw something else. In the midst of the ruined city, he began to pour vision He began to to call people to Braddock, Pennsylvania, to renew it, to move there, to re-energize, to re-renew, to bring uh, fresh volunteerism, to to restore what was once broken to to make Braddock a better place. He saw something that no one else could see. And so just watch this video and listen to what the kid says real quick.
We were taught how the pioneers went into the West. They opened their eyes and made up what things could be. A long time ago, things got broken here. People got sad and left. Maybe the world breaks on purpose. So we can have work to do. People think there aren't frontiers anymore. They can't see how frontiers are all around us. We were taught how the pioneers went into the West. They opened their eyes and made up what it could be, what things could be. A long time ago, things got broken here. People got sad and left. Maybe the world breaks on purpose so we can have work to do. People think there aren't frontiers anymore, but they can't see how frontiers are all around us. Go forth. That, that video, I think, summarizes the Christian mission. That's a long time ago, the world got broken. And God's been on this great mission to restore, reconcile, and renew everything. He sends His Son, and eventually, <clears throat> 2,000 years, and, 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 and three and a half years after His Son walked, lived, died, and resurrected from the dead, there was about 120 followers in an upper room in Jerusalem, waiting, because Jesus said to wait. The Spirit of God comes down on Pentecost, fills them with the Holy Spirit, and this 120 people in over 300 years, in less than 300 years, becomes 30 million, 300, 250, sorry, let me say that over. I got confused with my own statistics. 120 people in 300 years became 250 million in the Roman Empire. They subverted half of the Roman Empire in 300 years. I think being conformed to this world is not being able to look out, a, out at a city like Long Beach with half a million people, 500,000, and say, what on earth could 250 people about the size of the garden do with only having to reach 500,000 people? Being conformed to this world is settling in and not seeing the frontiers that are all around us. And the questions I have for you tonight is what are the frontiers in your life that you, you haven't been able to see. What is God doing right now in your life? Where you are. Don't, you don't have to look beyond what you're already doing. How might you open your mind? How might you lift up your head? Reorient your life through worship and offer it simply back to God. How might you be a student that lives so intentionally that, that the redemptive presence of Jesus Christ is in everything we do? That when the coffee shop barista says he has a hard day, you go beyond just saying, oh, that sucks. Or when you're a teacher of a second grade class and, and your, your students are there, what would it look like to go 15 minutes early just to pray? I mean, I mean there's so many possibilities, right? 
There are so many frontiers to take. And as a church, guys, I'm so excited for this new year. Um, I'm so excited as a church. There are so many things, I think, beginning to start. I think we're just getting started. I think this last year was us getting our, our feet kind of firmly planted, and now I think we're going to take off and run. This city needs a thriving community downtown. This city needs a healthy church downtown Long Beach. And I, know, I think it's us. But we're not going to do it because we have a staff. We're not going to do it because one guy says it. We're going to do it because we catch the vision and we see the frontier as a church. And we go beyond serving this little thing inside a nightclub and we go to moving outside. And it's not about following the, the, the ministries we all already had. It's about awakening the vision, the dreams, the hopes that you have right here and now. Because now's the time. How have you conformed to this world? How have you... How have you settled in? And maybe you need to hear it from a Levi's ad. Go forth. So this, this evening, as we, as we come to a close, I, I just wanted to inspire for you guys to wake up to the dreams that God might have for you. I didn't share this in the earlier service, but I think I'll just share it now. I was, um, I was on staff at Rock Harbor. Some of you know my story, but I was on staff at Rock Harbor, a big 6,000-person church in Costa Mesa. For three months, I was the youngest person on staff. I was 22 years old. And I heard God, as clear as day, on a train in India, say, plant a church in Long Beach. I was 22 years old, three months into vocational ministry. I was engaged. I just graduated college. I was just getting started. And God says, go plant a church in Long Beach. I lived in Newport Beach, really close to the water, and I surfed all the time. And I followed God. I listened, and I simply obeyed. I had no idea what I was getting into. And sometimes God plants those inside of us. And they're, such, they're so confusing, but they're so compelling, and they don't go away. And some of you have been conformed to this world, and you have misplaced the dreams that God has placed in your hearts, in your minds. So would you wake up this evening? Because the only way it's going to happen is if we get it here and now. Transformation of cities, of world does not happen because we make it happen. It happens because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. But it, it doesn't, it, it's not like we can just say, all right, Long Beach, you're going to be better off right here and now. Here we go. It starts way over here when we say, all right, God, it's yours. You've given me life. I've given it back. So why don't you uh, ponder that as we worship? And I just want to read this in the words of Eugene Peterson, the same verses that I've read. Maybe close your eyes and uh, listen to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 in plain English. <clears throat> so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, of course. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does, uh, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond, quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So Lord Jesus, we hear your truth in Scripture. And Lord, we just claim 
your truth through a Levi's ad that so many of us have been conformed to the world around us that we in fact can't see the frontiers that you've placed in front of us or the frontiers that are knocking on the doors, the frontiers in our apartment complexes, in in, in our jobs, in, in our driving to work, in the relationships. God, we have so been conformed that we think worship has simply to do with us standing and sitting at church on Sundays. God, forgive us. Lord, may you ignite in us a response that simply surrenders to you as the God who loves living sacrifices. Thank you for the work on your cross. Thank you for the work you've done for us. And I pray this evening, here and now, that 2011 could be handed over to us and be given back to you. Would you inspire us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Fill us this evening. May we learn how to sing the songs of truth with conviction in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.